progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. It's defined as a resource hub for teachers and an online classroom for pupils. Oak National Academy is our focus. A warm welcome to the School Leadership Podcast from NAHT and NAHT Edge. Matt Hood is the principal at the Oak National Academy and also takes in the role of advisor on educator professional development at the DFE and is a founder at the Ambition Institute. Matt's about to be in conversation with our own James Bowen. Now set against a backdrop of the pandemic of course, they have managed as an academy to achieve an impressive infrastructure and large-scale delivery within a very short space of time. It really is a story of innovation and perseverance and really pushing the boundaries of what EdTech can do. Let's hand over to James. Thank you so much for joining me, Matt. Let's just start with a bit of a recap. So can you remind us how Oak Academy came about in the first place and and who was involved in in making it all happen? Uh, Well, thanks for uh, having me. Um, Yeah, this is a a really interesting story and it's... um, one that I definitely should write down uh, so that I rem- remember all of the interesting twists and uh, twists and turns. Um, I, I suppose at, at its most basic, um, a conversation started uh, between myself and uh, David Thomas, and then increasingly a couple of other teachers and, and school leaders about the challenges that schools were facing as they were heading back into the summer term of being able to deliver a good quality as best as possible under the circumstances, remote education for their pupils. And we knew that we were in a fortunate position as a group, that we were in schools or school trusts, that for whatever reason, a whole load of different reasons, right? You might have happened to have had a really interested kind of computer science teacher who pushed on uh, technology and the thinking around technology in the school or um, you were a fortunate position that you didn't have lots of teachers who were off or self-isolating or you had teachers for with particular enthusiasms for ed tech but, but for whatever reason we're in the fortunate position of a group of people who were able to provide what we thought was reasonably good quality remote education for their pupils and the sort of exam question came on the table like could we make what these teachers uh, are doing for their own pupils available to all pupils. Could we kind of scale that? Um, one of the ones of technology is, you know, if you're pre-recording, uh, you know, creating in the language an asynchronous lesson for your 30 pupils uh, in your geography class, can we just make that available for everybody? And um, partly at the time, you know, there was this big um, sense of uh, national st- spirit and um, working together to help tackle some of the challenges that COVID was presenting. And what we found very quickly was just a a rapid uh, uh, outpouring of goodwill from all different kinds of places. I mean, when you say who was involved, I'm I'm inevitably going to forget people off this list. But, you know, beyond the kind of schools and uh, school trust and subject associations uh, that we were having conversations with who were working with us on the production side, there were a whole load of organisations, Google uh, and others, who were helping us put together the technology platform that was going to be required Uh, alongside um, uh, uh, an ad agency who helped us come up with the name and the logo and uh, uh, some of the uh, graphic design agencies that help us come up with the artwork for the website Um, 
and and we found ourselves in this position where first meeting was on Good Friday and we set ourselves a target by the first day back of term to have about 180 lessons, I think it was, in that first week um, online through an accessible site that kids could access. Uh, and things just sort of spiralled uh, spiraled out of control from there. And, and the sort of process you're describing there, it, it, that feels like something that in normal times, that would be a kind of a few years. Um, and yet, what, this was achieved in, in a matter of weeks, basically? Yeah, um, I, I think that's true. And I think um, there were a whole load of things that, um, you know, we achieved domestically, internationally, and, and in fact, still keep achieving, right? If, if you look today, you know, via... Uh, um, uh, protections against viruses, you know, coming up even with the concept of how you would do that often takes, you know, a decade. There are a whole load of things I think that COVID has uh, created conditions for things to happen that might not otherwise have happened. And um, uh, we were just a, a fortunate beneficiary of, 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 of that moment in time. And I suppose one of the things that's really interesting, it, it felt like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like sort of central government came on board with this pretty quickly. Um, so I'm interested in, in how that came about. And also, I suppose there are, there are huge advantages to central government kind of backing you, but were there also challenges with that? I mean, you know, there's, there may be a sense amongst some teachers that, you know, once government gets involved, it's no longer a kind of a, a bottom-up organisation. So how did, that, how did that all come about? And, and was it useful? Were there problems with it? Department for Education has been incredibly supportive they were incredibly supportive very early on uh, and continue to be so and you know candidly we just wouldn't be here without their help and support and some of the one of the things that I've learned here is that like some of the costs associated with uh, technology platforms like this are really significant um you know our streaming costs for example so the cost of just like hosting and streaming the video um are you know, six figure amounts of money when you uh, are working at the scale that we're working at and you know without government stepping in and covering some of those costs um we would have been in we would have you know been in real difficulty and, and struggled to move forward it's one thing asking uh, schools and school trusts and other partners for donations in kind it's another thing finding the cash to actually pay some of these costs that just need to be paid um and uh you know i i feel for the department for education here because um uh it, when it doesn't act, it um, can find itself uh, being criticised for not acting quickly enough to support the profession to do particular things. Um, and it's being criticised in a whole range of different ways there. And, you know, some of those are some of those are fair cop. Um, uh, but equally, um, uh, there are concerns and criticisms when it does get involved because, you know, is it shaping the agenda and is it controlling, you know, what's happened in particular ways that are, uh, you know, deemed deemed to be unhelpful and um, I think they've struck a really uh, great balance with us and you know I have nothing but um, uh, you know generous things to say about them and, th and their relationship with us and, and the, the things they've done to help and support us um, they have trusted um, what we call our subject leads so you know effectively our sort of heads of department phase leaders to design and lead the creation of curricular content they have trusted us to you know, build the platform in a way that works best for users. They've trusted us to um, communicate with teachers and school leaders in a way that is going to uh, make that work for them. Um, and, you know, that, that have just continuously asked the question, what can we do to help? And, uh, you know, it, on this occasion, um, like all credit to them for the, for the, for the work that they've done uh, on, on this particular project, helping us out. 
So if we sort of turn to the lessons themselves a bit, I mean, you talked about the target you had initially. I mean, how much of a challenge was it to get so many lessons across so many subjects and so many year groups in place at, at the speed you had to work? And I suppose, how did you, how did you manage it? Yeah, um, so this is an area of, I mean, uh, there are a whole load of, uh, well, just about every area, I think across the organisation, I can take very, very little credit for. Um, uh, on, on this one in particular, um, there is just an incredible little team of uh, hyper-organised, uh, dedicated grafters, um, backed up by a whole load of volunteers who essentially have created a, a production line, effectively, um, like thought through processes and systems, uh, professional development for the teachers so they understand those systems that allowed us to kind of rapidly scale this, uh, this model. Um, it's been really hard. We've definitely had bumps along the way. Um, there are lots of uh, different complications. You're teaching different subjects to different phases and you're trying to fit those into some kind of common framework so that that production process works. Um, uh, but the advantage of doing this week on week on week over that first term, over those 12 weeks, meant that um, each week we iterated and improved that process a little bit, a little bit, a little bit to get it better and better and better, which set us up really well for the big marathon record over the summer where, you know, we were uh, aiming to get to about 10,000 lessons over that period of time. And so it, 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 is, it is all down to a, a small and, you know, not well-known group of incredibly smart uh, people in what we call our production team who ha have just thought through the mechanics of this in lots of detail and put everything in place they possibly can to support the teachers who were, you know, uh, pulling all out all the stops because they were both doing work in their own school for their own pupils and contributing to the efforts that Oak was making. And I suppose that leads me to the question around sort of quality assurance uh, in a sense that how, how do you make sure with, with, the, with the sheer number of videos that are being emailed across to you every day, how do you, you know, go through and actually make sure they're of you know, sufficient quality, they're good enough to go on the site? How, how does that all work in practice? Yeah, so there are, there are a few stages um, to this. And, you know, as with anything, um, we try to come at it from multiple different perspectives. So, um, uh, and, and lots of this will be, you know, really familiar to any uh, teachers and school leaders listening, because, you know, this is how lots of this works in schools. So the first part of it that's really important to us is that we've got a really good curriculum that's underpinning the units and in turn the lessons that we're recording. And, and you know, in this second iteration, we spent quite a lot of time sort of late May, June, thinking through, talking to lots of uh, experts in the system to make sure that our uh, curriculum and the sequences within those curriculum you know we'd selected the right knowledge we had sequenced that knowledge appropriately and uh and and, and we were ready to get going so there was there was a lot of work that goes on up front on the on the curriculum itself um the second thing that's really important is professional development for those teachers um we learned things as we went along and every week over that first term and then for a full week before we did the big summer uh uh, lesson record we were doing professional development with those teachers that was lots of getting them to watch back uh videos that our analytics were telling us were being successful trying to understand you know, what what is it about this channel what is it about this asynchronous lesson online that you need to think about differently to what you might do in a classroom there's obviously lots of overlap a good explanation is a good explanation but what difference does the channel make and what things might we need to additionally think about so professional development plays a big, a big 
part in that process. Um, and, then, and then I think there are two parts once the production process is underway. Um, the first is a kind of uh, technical check, I suppose, um, for want of a better word. We had a team over the summer, um, I think about 180 in total, of mainly PhD students, uh, closely matched to the subject that they were looking at, who were doing a range of kind of technical uh, checks on each of the lessons. We were making sure things like there was no safeguarding issues. We were checking for things like copyright issues in those lessons. We were making sure that just the basic video production and the sound and those sorts of things all worked. We were making sure that they were accessible. Um, it's really, really been really important to us that the videos are as accessible for all pupils as possible. They're all subtitled. The colours in the background aren't distracting. We're using particular fonts, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I suppose, is the third plank of our quality assurance process as a kind of technical check that goes on. Uh, and then the final part is the kind of um, the educational check, the curriculum instruction assessment, uh, pedagogical check, you might call it. And uh, on that, you know, we do what I think really good schools do, which we trusted our subject leads, our head of department phase leaders, who were constantly watching samples of videos for teachers and giving them feedback on uh, the sorts of things that we thought they could do to make their video even better. That sometimes involved re-recording a little bit and doing some editing to slot it in. You know, in the worst case scenarios, it might involve re-recording um, a video in its entirety. So uh, good quality curricular thinking upfront, really good quality professional development for the teachers, a technical check to make sure that just some of the nuts and bolts are all in place and then kind of a sampling and feedback process uh, as we were creating these lessons to kind of incrementally make them better and better each week. And I know one of the things you, you've been keen all along, I think it's fair to say, is to make this very clear, it's a kind of profession-led uh, project that it's very much bottom-up. So one of my questions around that is how have you sort of made sure that, that those involved represent the, the whole spectrum across the profession. I, I guess there may have been some criticisms in the early days. Oh, look, this is a this is a few academy chains. This is a couple of sort of hand-picked groups. But I, the impression I've got, Matt, is that you've been keen to kind of broaden that and bring more people into the tent. H how's that all work? Yeah. So, so um, uh, you know, inevitably, in our early days, um, the teachers that we had around the table were people who were you know involved in a battering around of whatsapp groups which then was like oh, we need another math teacher Does anyone know a math teacher and people know people and uh how sort of grassroots organizations are formed and um uh, you know that inevitably does lead to a kind of uh, uh criticism of the kind of breadth uh the size of our tent is one of the i suppose easy analogies to describe it as and um, I think that's fair and uh, and and definitely something that it was important to me that we improved over time. Um, I say that, though, um, with huge gratitude and admiration for those people who came around the table in the first instance and indeed sustained us for that first term. Um, you know, the schools and school trusts, because uh, it was both, um, uh, put in, you know, I think somewhere between about half a million and a million pounds worth of staff time into this process. And um, again, similar to the Department for Education and indeed those other people that came around the table, we just wouldn't be here without their kind of generosity and support. So um, yes, a small group, but a small group that I'm incredibly, uh, incredibly grateful to. That said, um, as we came into uh, a period of time where we were able to take a step back and um, uh, we were 
looking at creating the kind of this fuller, fuller curriculum for the year. Um, it was a really great opportunity to just broaden that tent right out. And you know, I think we ended up with about 300, 350 teachers, something like that, working from a whole range of schools, school trusts and subject associations um, right across the country. Uh, uh, and I think we can keep making that tent bigger. And I think it's really important that we keep making that tent bigger. Um, you know, we created uh, what we have on the site over a you know, very, very long period of time, three weeks in total. And uh, I think it's good. And I'm really proud of the work that the, the teachers have done. I also know from lots of conversations with the teachers, not least because they can read a transcript of the lesson in our in our teacher hub, which is the kind of the teacher part of the, the site, um, that they'd love to do some of this stuff all over again and make this improvement and that improvement and the other improvement. And I think as we look at iterating and improving on each of those lessons, there's an opportunity to bring even more teachers into this process, be it to help us look at a particular unit and give us feedback on it about what could be even better, or indeed getting involved in recreating and recording um, some of those lessons all over again. So let's talk a little bit now about how schools are actually using it. I'm really interested in, you know, what you've heard, the feedback you've had in terms of how schools are using it. Are there any particularly kind of interesting approaches or innovative practice that you've seen in terms of the way schools are accessing it all way more i think than we anticipated um uh, and this is a kind of really fascinating part of uh, of my job at the moment and one that uh, i love i love hearing about we you know created something and just put it out in the system uh the purpose that we had in mind the use case i suppose that we thought carefully about was how do we design this in a way that allows a school to switch as seamlessly as possible from uh, uh, a part of their curriculum that they were teaching in their classroom to the same part of that curriculum that they now might need to teach at home because there's a case in a bubble and that bubble goes home. I'm a chair of governors at a school in, uh, in the Northwest and you know, we, we're having this exact problem as I know lots of schools across the country are. That was the use case that we thought about. And that's why in our teacher hub, we set out the curriculum in as far in advance as possible so that schools could map their curriculum to our curriculum and see where there was a really good overlap. It's why in our teacher hub, you can see uh, and navigate all of the curriculum by unit and by lesson. You can see each of the components of those lessons. You can download about 70% of them. You can share them into Teams or Google Classroom or any other platform that you might uh, want to share them into. Um, uh, you can edit some of those downloads. So we, we tried to make this as, as useful as possible for that kind of switching use case. I described it back in June as like reducing the friction between remote and in-school lessons and you know we're seeing lots and lots of use cases for for that and you know that's still going up actually week on week we're well over uh, 600,000 pupils a week at the moment taking part in lessons with us which um is you know re really really significant however um we have seen a whole load of other use cases that i think um are very very interesting and you know there's lots of conversations that go around about kind of what the future looks like beyond COVID, what might be able to have learned to kind of continue using. And, and some of these, I think, fall into that category. Um, the first is catch up. Um, so we're seeing uh, the lessons being used as sort of targeted catch up in a kind of homework um, uh, type format. So, you know, you've got 30 kids in front of you actually they've all got slightly different gaps and slightly different needs you know as is always the case but potentially exacerbated by covid 
you can target homework uh, in a much more um, workload-friendly fashion by providing kids with different links to different lessons that you think they need to take up. So that's one use. Um, the second use case has been um, for cover lessons, actually. So uh, with lots of teachers off, um, cover is really complicated in schools at the moment. And um, every teacher knows that one of the um, most heartbreaking things you have to do when you wake up at 6am with a cracking headache and you know just want to uh, stay under your duvet for the day is that you've got to set some cover work for the uh, wonderful colleagues who are taking your lessons for the day and being prepared for that in advance and being able to send those colleagues a link to a lesson which comes with you know uh, worksheets and quizzes uh, that they can just roll out in the classroom with minimal effort for, for them and um, I think is is another really interesting use case um, the third is for a whole load of kids who are um, have additional needs in some way shape or form they might not be in their classroom full-time you know we certainly have uh, some challenging behavior in school at the moment where uh, pupils need to be out of their classroom for short periods of time actually we're finding that schools are using it in those situations to try and minimize the amount that those pupils are missing from not being uh, in the classroom with the teacher in that moment and then, and then the final one is, um, you know, a group who don't make the headlines very often, but I think are, um, you know, worthy of um, some more thought and consideration are trainee teachers who are joining the profession, it, who in lots of cases are finding it difficult to be in school and observe the volume of lessons that they might uh, be used to observing in any given normal year. Um, what we're finding is universities and school-based initial teacher training providers using individual lessons as a kind of observation tool uh, teachers then having a huddle with their tutor afterwards and discussing the lesson uh, what they thought went well what they thought um, could be even better now of course there are components that they won't see they're not going to see any kind of classroom management in the, in those lessons but um, uh, you know these are really really good teachers that we've got recording these lessons and so you're able to see like how does a good teacher explain that tricky concept or how did they model uh that concept that they're they're trying to explain and so there is this kind of cpd use for new and early career teachers that i, that I also think is is really interesting you know i think back to my own time training to be a teacher and i used to reflect on you know, it, it was sort of useful to just observe any teacher i used to go around the school observing you know teachers in a range of different subjects and you know, you'd be able to pick up things about classroom management um in particular from them it was a bit more useful to watch a teacher who was in my subject but the problem is they were never teaching the thing that I was about to teach. I think what um, uh, this bank of resources allows you to do is watch a teacher teach the thing that you're about to teach. There were loads of concepts. I'm, I'm an economics teacher by trade. There were loads of concepts I was really nervous about explaining for the first time. Had I been able to watch another teacher explain that really clearly and use that as a starting point for me to write a model, um, you know, I, th I think I would have been a, I think I would have been an addict. And I just want to sort of skip back to the start of that answer, really, where you talked a bit around the curriculum there. So if I'm understanding it correctly, what you're saying is that really Oak Academy can and should be able to complement a school's existing curriculum. So I guess, you know, if a school's worked incredibly hard getting their curriculum into place, they won't necessarily want to be kind of uprooting that and changing that. But the way Oak Academy is designed, it's possible for that to complement what the school's already got in place. Is that is that fair? That was our intention. So we set out, this was sort of late May time when we were thinking about the curriculum, we set out with the intention of doing everything we could 
to bend our curriculum to meet the needs of the school rather than the other way around. And that meant we did a few things. We thought about building blocks in the curriculum and I've tried to make it clear in our curriculum maps where um, there is lots of flexibility about moving units around in particular orders because you know sequencing in some subjects is is you know in mathematics for example which quite hierarchical there sometimes is a reasonably established order in other subjects that's much more open so we tried to think about building blocks and flexibility in those building blocks and the second thing that we did was we tried to think about um, being minimally esoteric um, we tried to figure out what the things are that most schools teach wherever most schools was was kind of possible um, uh, so we picked as popular as possible books or plays or periods of history um, and you know we for sure haven't covered everything even with 10,000 lessons there are still lots more kind of options that that, that people could choose um, but we, we tried to do this in a way that would map as far as possible to what most schools were doing we kept it really in line with the national curriculum uh, although you know again there are problems there it says stuff like you know, study some wartime poetry well we have to pick some poems and uh again we tried to pick the sort of least esoteric options we could find that gives schools then a choice which is look we might map 70 percent, and you might decide um do you know what we'll do the remaining 30 percent ourselves or they might decide you know what for this year let's switch to from Hamlet to Macbeth because Oak has a unit on Macbeth and that will just give us a bit more resilience if a bubble is sent home midway through teaching that. And we've seen both options and, you know, but both are, both are brilliant. And, uh, you know, it's up to the individual schools to decide what of this is useful for them. It's absolutely no obligation to use any of it. And, you know, if it's not useful, then, you know, and you, you, the school's in a good position to provide it itself. I mean, even better, that's brilliant. And just to zoom out for a moment on this, I mean, I, I guess I think we'd probably all agree that we're still relatively in the foothills of our understanding when it comes to remote education, although I, I guess everybody's learned an awful lot over the last nine months or so. Um, is there anything you particularly think you've learned about remote learning or that Oak have learned through all the work you've been doing that, that perhaps we didn't know a year ago? Um, so it's a really, really good question. And I think one that we two are at the very, very foothills of starting to understand. Um, I'm really excited in the coming term, we are um, uh, working with a small number of organisations to, to open up some of the back end of the data that the site collects about what the pupils are doing, um, to have them do some research on that to hopefully help us inform some of those things. Um, everything that I say, therefore, before that point is kind of um, hunches and bets that we're making rather than anything that I think we can say empirical at the moment. Um, there are a couple of things that I think are worth thinking about. I mentioned this a little bit earlier because the channel is different. When you are teaching in a classroom, there are some environmental factors. Um, you know, you can get the kids to sit down. You can make sure uh, or you can try to make sure they don't have mobile phones in their hands. They're attending to you. Um, they're sat in a particular order. There are minimal distractions around them. And... Um, that isn't the case when you're trying to deliver instruction uh, remotely, uh, particularly remotely asynchronously. We have no idea what the pupils are doing, where they're sat, what they're looking at, what distractions might be around them. And so um, thinking about uh, ensuring pupils are attending to the thing that you're doing or the thing that you're explaining or the thing that you're 
trying to get them to do, um, I think becomes even more important online than it is in classroom. It's essential in classrooms, but you just have some tools that help you to do it in a classroom that don't exist when you do it asynchronously. We talk about pause points a lot in our lessons. So teachers being really, really explicit about uh, stopping very, very regularly to make sure that the pupils are doing something uh, uh, active. Um, they are thinking about a question. They are writing something down. Um, I, I think we would we think that we need to do that more regularly than you might get away with in a classroom. So where you might get away with, I know, maybe talking for five to 10 minutes, explaining and modeling a concept, we think that needs to be broken down probably even more online um, to avoid this issue of attention going elsewhere, particularly if they're on a mobile phone um, uh, and, you know, and then being uh, sucked into thinking about something that is not the thing that we're intending them to think about. And then I suppose, Perhaps the final question that I wanted to, to explore with you a bit is, is you know, the long term future of Oak Academy. Uh, I guess as we, you know, we're sat here today and I think, as you said earlier, that we we're talking about a vaccine potentially being administered in, in, in a matter of days, if not weeks, uh, to some people. Um, maybe we're, we're beginning to come to the end, we hope. Um, and the, at some point in the not too distant future, a degree of normality uh, will return. Well, that's I guess that's all crossing our fingers and hoping. Um, in in that context, it, how do you see the future of Oak Academy? Has it has it sort of done its job? Do you do you kind of shut up shop and, and go away at that point, or, or are you envisaging a a long term future beyond that? Yeah, so a, a really great question, and one one that we're actually wrestling with at the moment, and, and thinking thinking really hard about. I suppose the exam question here is uh, again. Let's link back to your question about all of the use cases. Like, is there a sufficient compelling case because of those other use cases to keep uh, Oak open and you know operating in the system? You know, is there sufficient use case in the kind of catch up world? Is there a sufficient use case in the cover world? Is there a sufficient use case in teachers observing and seeing what each other's doing, getting their hands on? You know, one uh, teacher that we spoke to described it as like finding another teacher's USB stick. Um, uh, because just all the lessons are in there and you can download them and do whatever you want with them. Like, it, are those kind of non-COVID use cases sufficiently important and, you know, sufficiently in demand from teachers and school leaders um, that uh, it makes a compelling enough case that we, you know, we should continue work and, and stay open. Um, I think, I think my view, um, and it's, you know, it's still forming, but I, I had a conversation with the um, chair of governors at school, I had a conversation with my head about this, um, who, who was unequivocal about the benefits that this would provide in the long run. And um, not least her addition is, you know, the benefit to system resilience in the future if we find ourselves in a similar position. Um, so my, my, my working hypothesis is, I think we should be trying to find uh, out the answer to that question, figure out if those use cases efficiently compelling and if they are then figure out a way of um you know managing our operations so that we that we that we can continue to continue to function but that you know the more teachers and school leaders that we talk to over this period of time the better and you know if any of your uh any of the listeners here or any of the members have particular views on that they should they should by all means um get in touch with us um the, the bit that i have enjoyed doing the most is seeing the you know over that um, period over the summer you know seeing these 350 teachers work together on um, 
you know, the curricular thinking that sat behind the planning and design of the lessons in order to make those available. Like, whatever happens to Oak, like, we should be doing more to encourage that sort of collaboration and approach amongst teachers. Um, Because that is, I think, how we um, keep the conversation about curriculum instruction and assessment within the profession uh, and whether that's Oak or whether that's someone else um, uh, I don't know but that's that is I think a really um, powerful thing that we uh, shouldn't lose f- f- from the past sort of six to eight months. Matt thank you so much for your time and for, for the really interesting conversation today really appreciate it. Great thanks James. Our thanks to Matt Hood talking to James Bowen. Thank you, as always, for being with the podcast. And so that you receive all future podcasts from us, from NAHT and NAHT Edge, it's possible to subscribe via Apple Podcasts, as Google Podcasts, Spotify, and any number of other podcasting sites and podcatchers. We're still keen to get your feedback from guest suggestions to any general observations on the podcast. On Twitter, you will find us in these places, at NAHT News and at NAHT Edge. We're very grateful that you've listened throughout the year. We will, of course, be back in January with more on leadership and more on schools. In the meantime, have a very happy and safe Christmas and a wonderful new year. Take care. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. NAHT Edge is the part of our association aimed specifically at aspirational middle leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT Edge or NAHT member, go online to nahtedge.org.uk forward slash join or www.naht.org.uk forward slash join. And you can, of course, join the conversation on social media with our Twitter accounts. From NAHT and NAHT Edge, the School Leadership Podcast.